Good morning. Oh, how I wish we could all be together. Uh, these are strange, challenging times, but I'm so glad that um, we have some good folks here who are making this live broadcast possible, and we're glad that you have uh, tuned in. Um, allow me to quickly walk you through what to expect this morning. Um, we are here in the auditorium with only a handful of people needed to make the online broadcast possible. Um, so if it seems strange to you to sit in your home on your couch watching your screen, all this on that little bitty screen, it's really strange for us to be here in an empty auditorium. Um, but we thought the best approach would be to uh, record here in this room so that what you see on screen is what you would see if you were in church on a regular, typical Sunday. Uh, here are a few exceptions. Uh, in just a few moments, we'll be um, praying for communion and taking part of this memorial uh, together at the same time, so you need to have your communion ready. Uh, there will not be a collection, uh, so if you're able to give, we encourage you to do that uh, either online or you can mail your uh, contribution to the church office. office. Um, Obviously, there will not be an invitation song uh, or a time to respond, um, but at any time, if you need help um, spiritually or with anything, just call uh, one of the elders, one of the ministers, and we'll be glad to uh, help you. Um, I am grateful to have several here who are going to help us in our worship today. Never been more grateful for Calvin Jackson and Troy Rupert um, with what they do with our broadcast. Um, if you don't have an order of worship, I'll share. Uh, Rush Holiday will begin with a prayer and a scripture reading. Uh, then to help with our singing, uh, the slides with the words and the music will be on the screen. And you will hear a recording of some of our folks singing. We um, had some uh, people to make a recording for the Cherokee Church uh, a while back. And um, so we have some of those songs, and we hope that you will sing along. Um, then after a couple of songs, Jamie Hubble will lead us in communion. And then after a few more songs, I will bring the lesson. Uh, you may know this already, but last week, uh, Facebook logged over 500 views of our Sunday morning worship. And that's in addition to uh, the 300 who were here in person. So if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series uh, from Matthew 27. We're walking with Jesus from the upper room to the empty tomb. So I encourage you to keep your Bible handy and you can follow along. Even if you don't have the outline as usual, we're just going to be looking at that text and I think that will help you. And then John Law, one of our elders, will close out our worship and pray over us. So let's worship together. Our reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 27, verses 1 through 6, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. 
He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our dependence upon you, and we further acknowledge and confess our belief that Jesus Christ is your Son, and his great victory over death gives us hope over living in heaven, gives us the hope of living in heaven with you when this world passes away. Lord, we acknowledge your holiness and your power and your greatness, and we humble ourselves before you and before your throne. Father, we are pathetic sinners, but we're grateful to be continually in your presence because of Jesus. Father, there's a virus in our world today, and it reminds us of just how weak we really are. Father, we've conquered so much on the earth with our innovation and our creative, creative acts. But Father, as we are separated from one another on this day, uh, we, just, we realize and are reminded of just how frail and powerless we really are. So Father, we, we, we repent of our self-sufficiency and of our pride. Father, we lament the fallen nature of our world, which scars your creation. Father, this virus comes to steal and destroy and to worm its way through our bodies and spread its sickness across communities throughout the nation and the world. And Father, like Jesus, we weep at the sickness and death that it causes. But Father, we know that it was Jesus' death and resurrection that defeats this foe. And Father, we long for the day that you restore our bodies and restore the world. Father, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Father, as we endure this new normal in our lives, we pray earnestly for the heroic medical doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals who put their lives on the line for us every day. And Father, we pray also for their families. May you give them strength and endurance and physical immunity during this time so that they can continue pushing back against this sickness. Father, we pray for the scientists and disease experts and epidemiologists who are working so hard to find vaccine and other me mechanisms. Father, we are thankful that you've blessed them with being so smart in this particular area and we pray father that you would give them knowledge and give them wisdom and we pray for their endurance father we pray for a breakthrough and we pray for resources and inspiration father we know that you are the great physician and so we pray for healing for those who, that are victims to this virus Father, you are the creator, and we know that you have the power over all this creation, of all your creation. So, Father, we just simply pray that you destroy this virus. Father, you are the great comforter, so we pray for comfort 
for those whose souls are troubled. Father, we also ask that you move in the hearts of our public officials. Father, have you, as you've instructed us through your word, we come to you earnestly on behalf of our president, of Congress, of governors, mayors, and of local officials. And Father, we pray fervently for the elders of this church as they lead us through such difficult times. Father, we pray that you guide them with wisdom and with discernment. Father, help them to feel and sense your presence with them always. And Father, give them peace. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we pray for the people in our nation and all the nations who would be humbled to turn to you in repentance and in faith. We know that you are the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Father, we praise you for your goodness and for your mercy. Father, our prayer so far has been about our biggest current concern. And Father, we know that our faith in you allows us to place our concerns at your feet. Father, now that we've done that, please help us direct our minds and our thoughts to you as we worship you. Lord God, you are awesome. You are powerful. You are in control and you are holy. God, we present to you the worship of our hearts and of our minds and of our souls. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Through Christ we pray. If the skies above you are gray, you are fields of blue. If your cares and birds seem gray, all the more they prove. There's a silver light that shines in the heavenly land. Look by faith and see, my friend, trusting his promises grand. Sing and be happy, press on to the goal, trust in So let all be faithful, look to him and pray, lift your voice and praise him and soul, sing be happy today. Often we are troubled and tired, sick with sorrow and pain. There are others living in sin, blessed with earthly gain. Faith and courage we cannot tell what the morrow may bring. When the dark clouds vanish away, then your heart truly can sing. Sing and be happy, press on to the goal. Trust in who leads you here will keep your soul. Let all be faithful, look to him and pray. Lift your voice and praise me so. Fail to see the rainbow up in heaven's fair sky. When it seems our fortunes of earth proud and pass us by, there are things we know that are worth more than silver and gold. If we hope and trust we stay, we shall have pleasure untold. See and be happy, press on to the goal, trust in. Be faithful. 
Jesus' body, his love for us on the cross, dear Lord. Father, we know that he uh, worried the night or stressed over the night that he was going to be uh, going to the cross. He knew the sacrifice he was going to make for us, dear Lord. And Father, we're so grateful for his love for us and uh, the blessing uh, of him. May we take this uh, bread in remembrance of his body and his sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. pray for the fruit of the vine. Dear Father, we thank you for this uh, fruit of the vine that represents Jesus' body and, and his blood on that cross, dear Lord. Uh, Father, it's his blood he shed for our sins. Uh, and Father, we know that uh, he had the ultimate love for us through this sacrifice. Father, may we remember all the things that he endured uh, this day before the, uh, the cross, uh, the pain and torture that was received. Um, uh, the mockery that he received, dear Lord. May we remember that uh, all of this was done for us. And Father, may we, um, may we thank you for this blessing of his love for us. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Teach me, Lord, to wait down on my knees till in your own
Today revealed that over the last 50 years, the world's most identifiable symbols were as follows. 
Number one was the swastika. Number two was Coca-Cola. And number three was Mickey Mouse. Now, without a doubt, those are all very recognizable, but I would have thought the cross would at least made the top three, if not number one. Think about it. It has been in stained glass windows for centuries and centuries and church buildings. It's worn as jewelry. You can hardly go into a cemetery without seeing the cross on a grave marker. I remember when uh, John McDavid constructed the doors for the baptistry, someone mentioned about the belief that a six-panel door is the cross and an open Bible. And I often think about that when I see a six-panel door. You ever driven down the highway, like going to Cookville or down to Birmingham, and you see a huge, grand cross just peering over the highway, or even a small wooden marker on the side of the road where someone's loved one died in an accident? Could it be that we've become so accustomed to seeing the cross that it loses its meaning? Do we take it for granted? It's just a piece of architecture or just a symbol or a decoration. Well, we're going to talk about the cross, so open your Bibles to Matthew 27. And I want to begin looking at verse 33. The verses are going to be on the screen, but it may be better for you or is best for you to have your Bible open and follow along. Verse 33, Matthew 27, when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Golgotha is a skull-shaped hill in Jerusalem. That word Golgotha is the Greek word. What we also think of as Calvary, that's a Latin word. It means bald head or skull. Same place, same location. And those who've traced the steps of Jesus in Jerusalem will be quick to tell you how desolate, how lifeless. It's not attractive. It was a place where criminals were taken to die. Look how the Hebrew writer describes it, chapter 13 and verse 12 in the book of Hebrews. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The execution was so horrible, so horrific, it had to be carried outside the city, beyond the gate. It was the type of site that criminals were brought to, to be crucified, to be put to death. I thought about that. We've been inundated with information about the coronavirus and all the concerns and how we're supposed to respond to that. But there is nothing more important than what we're going to talk about today and even the coming Sundays, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. No doubt this is nothing new to any of us, but just like seeing a cross on the side of the road or a church building or a piece of jewelry, sometimes we see it and we don't see it. We just look right through it. I pray we will not take this for granted, especially now. We'll be even more focused. Our ears will be attentive. Our hearts will be open. So let's put all of our concerns aside and let the Word speak to us. Let God take us back to this moment that forever changed history. So I want to look at this. First, Golgotha was a place of suffering. Let's kind of walk through this chapter and notice the suffering of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus warned his followers that he would die, he would be killed, and that he would be uh, buried and raised on the third day. He did this many times, but now the time had come. So notice it was a day of physical suffering. There was the scourging, the beating. We talked about this last week, that it was so intense 
It was not unusual for a person to die from the beating alone. They didn't live through it, but Jesus did. Think about what we know of him. Jesus was a young man. As far as we know, he was fit. He was in good health. But even though he was severely beaten, he was able to carry the cross at least part of the way. Look at chapter 27, verse 31. When they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes on him, led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry the cross. Now, just months prior, Jesus had told his disciples, Matthew records it, chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What Jesus was saying then is that he was not the exception. He was the example. He was practicing what he preached And now was the moment of truth. He did not take the easy route. Look at verse 34. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. This was a time of intense pain. Crucifixion involved stripping him of his clothing, driving these stakes into his hands and his feet, or his wrists and ankles more specifically putting him on the cross and allowing him to bleed out and eventually suffocate, knowing all the time that one is crucified this horrible, slow death. Historians tell us that sometimes the soldiers would tilt the cross forward, adding pressure to the body. It would speed up the process, but that also increased the excruciating pain. Some would suffer their hearts just rupturing or the suffocation much quicker. It was a heinous process. I don't know that in our culture today we can fully appreciate it. There was no more terrible death than death by crucifixion. Even the Romans regarded it as a shudder of horror. If you're a Roman citizen, you were not to die that way. Cicero declared it the most cruel and horrifying death. Tacitus, a historian, said it was a despicable death. Originally, it came from the Persians. They're the ones we believe who have invented it. They believe the earth was sacred. And if someone deserved that kind of death, they didn't want to defile the earth. And so they killed them on this raised stake on the cross and then left them there to die. By design, the cross caused suffering. But in addition to all the physical pain, there was also emotional pain. If you've ever been through a traumatic experience, you might agree that the emotional pain and stress can be equal to and sometimes worse than the physical pain that you're going through. And think about what Jesus endured. Look in verse 35. When they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. When they sat down and kept watch over him there. As you read through that, it may remind you, because it's eerily similar to what happened in Genesis 37. When Joseph's brothers threw him into the empty pit, the empty well, and then left him there to die and then proceeded to eat their lunch, all the while their young brother was crying for help. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying, and these men are gambling over his possessions. The last thing he owned, his clothes. Verse 37, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. 
John's gospel tells us how the Jews protested to Pilate not to put that, but that he said that he claimed to be king of the Jews. But evidently, Pilate had had enough of the bullying of the Jews, and he said, no, what I have written, I have written. So to the Jewish leaders, maybe they felt like they had to do something to discredit this sign. Verse 38, the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Putting him between two criminals, was this to insinuate what they were unable to prove? Surrounded by criminals, tortured like a criminal, he must be a criminal. And they didn't just stop there, they verbally assaulted him. Verse 39, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41, So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Stop there for a moment and notice what's happening here. He saved others. In the middle of their insidious attempts to take Jesus down, they confessed the truth. Jesus saved others. They were so full of hate, so glad that they finally had him on the cross. They couldn't help themselves. They admitted Jesus helped others. Verse 42 continues with them saying, he's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Jesus is the one who caught them in their hypocrisy. Jesus is the one who exposed their empty religious ways. And now, He's paying the price. And don't you know they were relishing every moment? What had been for them a living nightmare for these years in Jesus' public ministry was now coming to an end. But it didn't quite work out that way, did it? I wonder if we're able to see the love of Jesus as much as the people he endured as to the pain he also experienced. Golgotha was not just a place of suffering, but it was also a place of sacrifice. Those are two words we don't like to talk about, suffering and sacrifice. We struggle with those. We're not accustomed to being quarantined, and we're struggling with that. We think of that as suffering. I've loved some of the memes on Facebook. Maybe you've seen a couple of two about all the parents becoming homeschoolers, I mean, home teachers and of their home, uh, homeschooling you know, about expelling their kids and, and putting in for a transfer and all of that. But my favorite was this. For the first time in history, we can save the human race by laying in front of the TV and doing nothing. Let's not blow this. And for some of you sports fans, you're struggling. What do you watch on TV if you can't watch sports, right? I mean, we're used to watching that. The best of the best, we enjoy that. I thought about the Olympics. You know, when you watch the Olympics, you know, they have it carefully scripted and you just see the final competitions, you know, just the best of the best, the final rounds, and then ultimately who wins the medals. And sometimes when we watch the Olympians, we maybe find ourselves thinking, I wish I could run like that, or I'd love to be able to swim like that, or maybe to ski like that, or whatever the sport is. But what's not often appreciated in those final moments of competition is the hours and hours and hours of training, years and years, ultimate sacrifice, dedication. 
Remember that phrase, no pain, no gain? We know what that means. We understand. See somebody really fit, maybe even muscular thing. I want to look like that. I want to be fit like that. And so that phrase comes in, no pain, no gain. Also means no chocolate, means no ice cream, means no to a lot of things. I called my folks to check on them. They're doing very well. In fact, as healthy as ever, they're in their early 80s. Uh, Dad's been going to the gym for a while, and he told me that mom had joined him. And I thought, my mom and dad in their 80s are going to the gym. Uh, isn't that good? I thought, Randy, you need to go to the gym. <clears throat> but they've closed the gym, so there's that. Okay, humor doesn't work on the screen, I know. But here's the question. Do we really understand suffering? Do we really understand sacrifice? Here are four reasons I think Jesus was able to be willing to sacrifice. Why did he not come down from the cross? They're taunting him. They're tempting him. Well, first, I think he did it out of love. One writer said this, nails do not hold God to trees, but love does, and love did. Second, I think he didn't come down because of knowledge. He understood what was going on. They taunted, let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. That sounds so plausible, and he could do just that. But he also knew they didn't mean it. They didn't want to believe in him. And Jesus could do more good by facing his death than calling 10,000 angels and coming down from the cross. If they were not convinced by the virgin birth and the feeding of the thousand and the raising of Lazarus, that he could walk on water, that just the night before that he had miraculously healed that man's ear that was cut off, if none of those were enough, removing three nails would not work either. Jesus knew this was best. Love was part, knowledge was a part, but there was also forgiveness of sins. There's no other way for man to be redeemed. This was the plan, the only way it could happen. The cross was not Jesus being defeated. This was Jesus fulfilling the plan for the beginning. This was not an oops. This was not these, these religious leaders winning or tricking him or finally getting the best of him. This was planned. Peter said this to the people at Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Which brings me to number four. He stayed for one word, prophecy. For hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people had been told about this coming Messiah, and not just that he would come, but even how he would die. And if Jesus took the easy way, if he thwarted the plan, then that would deny all the prophecies. So what does all this have to do with us? It has everything to do with you and me. The only way you and I can have our sins forgiven is to realize that our sins nailed him to the cross. But we weren't the ones there when Matthew is recording this, taunting Jesus. But the prophet Isaiah said, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that all includes you. That includes me. All you ever did wrong, all you ever did wrong, all the sins of the world, of all mankind, was placed on Jesus Christ. 
one of our newer songs has excellent theology. You remember these words? Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it was finished. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? You bet you were there, and I was too. Martin Luther says, we carry the nails in our pockets. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. There's a church on the West Coast that has an unusual mural. It is of a scene of Golgotha. And it has the political leaders and the religious leaders and the crowd and the frightened disciples. They're all in the mural. But what makes it unusual is that the members of that congregation posed for the artists. And all the faces of all those people were the members of that church. Christ's sacrifice serves as a compelling reminder that God's love is bigger than all my sin. Any mistake we could ever make, including the death of his beloved son. Well, let's look at one more. The supernatural. As you walk through Matthew's gospel, he tells us about several things that happened that were, was God working at this very critical time in history. And it really validated everything that Jesus claimed that he was. First, notice the darkness, verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. It's from noon to three o'clock, pitch black. While Jesus never replied to their taunts, God turned off the lights, utter darkness. And don't you know that minute by minute, that darkness became even more dreadful? Number two, there was the miracle of the temple veil, the temple curtain. Now, that doesn't mean much to us. And most of us would think about that as a, a lightweight drape. But look at verse 51. It says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. When Solomon built the temple, the Old Testament tells us a little about the curtain, but not a lot, especially about the thickness. But ancient Jewish tradition, the Mishnah, tells us it was a hand breadth, about four inches thick. And when I would read this, I think, okay, what's the big deal about the curtain? I mean, why not blow the roof off the temple? But it wasn't just that it was fabric or easily done. That veil, that curtain, represented a divider between the holy of holies and everyone else. Only one person was able to go into that holy of holies, the high priest, and he only once a year. Jesus dying on the cross, that that curtain being torn from top to bottom was an amazing symbol that now that division is gone. Jesus took it away. We now have direct access to our holy God. Prior to that, the only one was the high priest. And now with Jesus dying for us, every believer has direct access to the holy God by the blood of Jesus. 
Look at Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we no longer need animal sacrifice. We no longer need a priest's. You don't need a preacher. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have direct access to the holy God. He's all you need to approach God. Jesus is your mediator. He's your intercessor. Look at Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by the canceling the record of death that stood against us by its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then consider the earthquake. Verse 51, the earth shook and the rocks split. I read one commentary that said, I bet the foundation of hell shook as well. If you ever endured an earthquake, you know, as traumatic as that is, as scary as that is, the moments that follow are even worse. The aftershocks, what's coming next? And think about it, in pitch black darkness. Had to be terrifying. And then, number four, the resurrection of the saints. One author said this is a miracle that seems to be overlooked. It's this one. Look at verse 52. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Think about this awesome display of God's power. Many bodies resurrected. This wasn't a moment where they just levitated over the grave and went back in. They came back to life and went into town and appeared to many. But what does all this mean? All this that Matthew has described for us in this chapter. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they live. But you can also tell maybe even more by the way they died. And we see that here observing what Matthew wrote about the centurion, the very last one you would expect to give any kind of tribute or credit or glory to Jesus. You think being quarantined is a challenge? What if your job was to watch people die? That's basically his job. And he'd done it a lot of times, a lot of ways, all sorts of, of death. Anger, bitterness, fear. He'd been spat upon, cursed. He'd seen it all. But now he's watching Jesus die. And there's something about watching how Jesus did not retaliate. He did not talk back. He watched our Lord die. Verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Max Lucado wrote this. Maybe this is what was running through the centurion's mind. They mock him as king. If you're crazy, they would ignore him. If he had no followers, they would have turned him away. If there was nothing to fear, they wouldn't have killed him. You only kill a king if he has a kingdom. The significance of the cross 
is that our sins no longer separated us from God. Jesus died an atoning sacrifice on the cross. No longer any barriers. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I don't know that we can fully understand or begin to explain that kind of love, but Jesus did. Again, months before he died, in John's gospel, John 10, verse 17, Jesus said, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Maybe we've heard this story so many times that we overlook that this was voluntary, that he chose to do this. Jesus was not assassinated. This was not an accident. In a technical sense, you could even say Jesus wasn't killed. He gave himself up. He was not overcome. He was not outwitted. It wasn't that they finally trapped him and they got the best of him. Jesus died willingly. You might remember when Jesus was arrested and appears before Pilate, Jesus didn't really play along. John's gospel says that Pilate became so frustrated with Jesus. And he said this, John 19, 10, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus replied, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Pilate, make no mistake. You're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. You know, in the Old Testament law, it was the sheep who died for the shepherd. Under the new covenant, the shepherd died for all the sheep. John 3, 16, the words of our Lord. For God so loved the world, that's Bethlehem, that he gave his only son, that's Calvary, that whoever believes in him, that's salvation, should not perish, but have eternal life. That's eternity. Chuck Colson said, there have been hundreds and thousands of kings, princes, and presidents. Whenever it comes time for a war, all those men have one thing in common. They send their subjects out to die on his behalf. There's only one king who went out to die on the behalf of his subjects. His name is Jesus Christ. And he died for you so that you could make him the Lord of your life. Again, if we can help you in any way, we encourage you to call on an elder, call on a minister. We'll talk with you over the phone. We're glad to help in any way that we can. John? Thank you, Randy. I have to admit that uh, last night and this morning, I was trying to think of something that I could say that might make a smile, and I really couldn't think of anything. And then I got it about five minutes before service. I received a picture on my phone. At the top of it, it said, I'm ready, with an exclamation point. And the picture was our brother Jeff White sitting in front of his computer wearing sweatpants, a T-shirt, and a necktie. 
Thank you, Jeff. We needed that. I do want to uh, uh, make a, just a few comments uh, to update our congregation on behalf of your elders. Thank you so much for the giving that was done yet last week, last Sunday, our special Sunday. $71,867 were given. That obviously takes care of all of the debt, any of the debt the church has now, and it makes a substantial gift to Disaster Relief, who has uh, been taxed lately in every way uh, through the disasters that we've had in this area. So thank you so much for that. There's a couple of announcements I want to share with you that's not in the bulletin. Uh, Jenny Johnson has made us aware that her mother, Carol Childers, uh, has been struggling, we know, with cancer for quite a while. And uh, they have called hospice in, Rob let us know. And uh, so we want to remember Jenny and her family, and particularly the Childers, who have been such an important part of the church, particularly in West Tennessee, and um, a long association with uh, Freed Hardeman and work they've done there. We want to remember that family. Rachel Thomas also made us aware of something that we want to uh, announce that's not in the bulletin, and it kind of hits home here. Uh, she has an aunt, uh, Drew Victory, and her aunt's daughter-in-law, which would be Rachel's cousin's wife, Kim Victory, in Williamson County. Both of these individuals have contracted this COVID-19, and uh, they're really struggling with it. In fact, the daughter is actually, we understand, on a ventilator. And uh, so we really want to remember this family, the victories in, uh, in our prayers. And then I also just want to say, I think about Porter King, and often he would uh, uh, make announcements and he would recognize things that are good and going on. Uh, if you notice this morning, front page of the sports page in the Daily Herald, maybe you can see it online if you don't get the paper, there was an article about our, our brother Richie Estep. Uh, the article talks about how that Richie uh, uh, got his 600th win as a baseball coach. But a lot of the article was dedicated to the fact of the way, talking about the way Richard, the way, the way Richie handled and led his team, the way that he wanted to be um, remembered, the way he wanted to uh, be an example to his team and those around him. And it's really a great article, and uh, we're thankful for the Estep family. And then also think about recently a play that was done at Columbia Academy that Sarah Tatum led, one of our, one of our members here, and several of our members' uh, children are in that play. And uh, we want to congratulate them on really a great job that it was. There's a lot of good that goes on in this community by our members, and we're thankful for it. Do please know, as Randy mentioned, that we as elders and our deacons who serve so well and our ministers and staff are ready to help with anything anybody needs uh, at this time. And then just a thought I want to share on behalf of our elders. Um, you know, while we hope that something like this in our community and in our world never happens again, we do encourage you to take advantage of this time to become more spiritually aware, uh, to intensify your prayer life, intensify your study life, meditation, and to really, really enjoy and embrace this extra time that many of us are having with our family. And we encourage you to check on each other, particularly those that are elderly in our congregation, our widowers and widows, uh, check on them and be ready to help them at any time. And then I would just offer stay informed, but don't watch too much news. It'll just get you down. I want to, uh, I want to share just a couple of passages uh, from Scripture 
You know, Paul wrote in his epistles to relatively young churches that were going through a lot of struggles. And so we can think about the struggles that we face as a community and a, and a world and even as a church in not being able to be together. He wrote this to the Corinthians, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And then he wrote to the Philippians, Be careful for nothing, but in everything be by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray as we close. Our Father God, we're so thankful that you uh, have given us technology. We're thankful for the technology that allows us to communicate and to touch each other in this way. To be able as best we can to stay connected, Father, we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for those that have made this possible this morning. Father, we're just so mindful of, um, uh, of our church family. We pray that you'll bless them. We may not be able to shake a hand or to hug or to talk to each other one-on-one close together, Father, but we know we can stay connected in other ways. And we're, again, thankful for that. We pray that we'll utilize that. Bless our families as they lead our children, lead their children in understanding what's going on. Bless us, Father, as we, um, as we work to uh, help others where we can in this situation. Father, I say a special prayer for those that in our congregation and even our community that are in the medical and health field. Not everyone, Father, is getting to stay at home and to be safe. And Father, we pray for those of our congregation that are in harm's way in trying to take care of others. We pray that you'll shield them with protection and bless them for what they do. We're thankful for first responders that are a part of this church and in our community that will, have, that will be dealing with situations that many of us won't. And we're mindful of those, Father, that simply will be going to work as normal to help take care of all the important supply chains of food and other areas of need that simply have to be done at this time. And we pray for them that you'll protect them. Father, bless this church. Help us, Father, to, um, to look to you more than ever before for guidance. And Father, keep us encouraged that we look forward to the day that we're able to be back together in this place and worship together on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen.